0: Thank you for tuning in to the Far Better Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to please God now so our eternity is far better. Here is your host, Michael Clark.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Far Better Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Clark. And we've been talking about suffering this season. We're ready to ask a question that many people have asked over the years. This is not a, a new question or a, a question that you know we're going to look at for the first time ever in the entire history of the idea of suffering. But it is a question that many people use as their litmus test. For why they don't believe in God. But before we get started with that, I want to remind you to check out the show notes, to look in there for all of our social media links, for our email address. If you have any questions, you can be sure to reach out to us. We'd be happy to talk with you, as well as checking out all of our other podcasts
2: on the Scattered Abroad Network. If you've read the
1: title of the podcast today, you already know what the question is, but It's can't God intervene? You know, let me point out a problem that people have with God here. Trevor Major wrote an article called The Problem of Suffering. I'll link it into the show notes for you all to be able to read the whole thing. But he stated the following problem that people bring forth. If God is all-powerful, He surely could do something to prevent or end suffering. If God is all loving, he would want to prevent or end suffering. And you look around, he says there's a tremendous amount of suffering in the world. Therefore, God either is not all loving or not all powerful. That's an interesting idea if you really think about it. I believe the question I've heard in some form or fashion, has been just what we titled this episode today. Can't God intervene?
2: That's, that's the issue. That's the problem people have. They want to know, why doesn't God
1: stop this? If God really cared about me, if God really had a, you know, a, a good moment in my brain, as far as a good intention toward this world, wouldn't God try to stop the suffering that's in this world? Like, wouldn't that be his number one goal? It's a faulty premise, though, because it, it, it operates on the assumption that God has something to do with the suffering that this world experiences. And we talked about that in the last episode, that suffering is our fault.
2: We did that.
1: but to humor the argument to discuss the argument in its full entirety i do want to look at that argument today and i want to start by pointing out that this is not the first time somebody has asked the question can't god intervene in fact
2: we have bible passages that
1: show us that people ask this question let's look at Habakkuk for a moment here. Let's look at Habakkuk. And if you have your Bibles, if you're able to do this, you can pull your Bible up and read along with me, but I'm going to read the verses for you. Habakkuk's complaint against God in the first place was that God surely could intervene with the wicked. In fact, he says in Habakkuk chapter 1 in verses 2 and 3, O Lord, how long shall I cry? and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence, and you won't save. Verse 3, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. God, there's no justice anywhere. (laughs) You know, I look around the world and I don't see the justice. The wicked are prospering. And God, this is wrong. He goes on in verse 4 to say, You know what my conclusion is, God, based on all the suffering that I see and the wickedness that's prevailing? Therefore, the law is powerless. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, and therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk's mindset was that because there was wickedness around him, the law, the law that God had given them, the law that God had put forth to them, had no ability to actually demand righteousness from people. Habakkuk's mindset toward the law was that if the law is really powerful, people should be following it. Before we look at God's answer in verses 5 through 7, let me just ask you this for you to think about for a moment. Do you always follow the law when you drive?
2: Have you never made a single mistake?
1: Look, I'll be honest with you. At at the time of me recording this, just a couple of days ago, I I got a speeding ticket. That shouldn't really come as a surprise to you because if you're driving and you're of the age to drive, you've probably gotten one too. Does that mean the law is powerless because when I get behind my truck wheel and I'm driving in my vehicle that I can speed and therefore the law has no power, no authority, no ability? Is that really what that means? Or is the law still applicable to me whether I choose to follow it or not? God answers here in verse 5, And he says, look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. Indeed, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Habakkuk. Trust my
2: judgment. God said he wouldn't believe him.
1: The other takeaway from this first complaint, because you notice I called it the first complaint, Habakkuk's going to complain again. The takeaway from the first complaint here is God tells Habakkuk, I've got this. Trust me. You got to understand, Habakkuk, I know what I'm doing.
2: Just a few verses later in verse
1: 12, Habakkuk asks a question and makes a second complaint. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You're pure in the eyes. You're, you're pure eyes and to behold evil, and you can't look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he. God, how can you possibly use the nation of Babylon? You know, you and I could sit down and talk, and we could quickly come to an understanding that we may not see eye to eye on everything, but we could quickly come to one understanding for sure. Do wicked nations still at times prosper
2: today? Do wicked people still at
1: times prosper today? The answer is yes. Look, you know, you don't have to sugarcoat it. You know the answer is yes.
2: God's question that he has to answer,
1: or Habakkuk's question that God is expected to answer, is God, since you're such a holy and pure and righteous God, how can you possibly be in? in league with the Babylonians. He says in verse 17, Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? Is this ever going to end, God? Is it ever going to stop?
2: God, can't you intervene with the wicked? You know, the problem is
1: what Habakkuk did not realize, what Habakkuk did not do is really what Daniel did in chapter 9 of his book where he wrote basically, God, we have sinned. We are the reason that we're in captivity. We're the problem. God, you, you were just reacting to what we had done. You, you're not breaching out against us as much as we made a breach against you and you responded to it.
2: So no, Habakkuk, you're not right. God can intervene with the wicked.
1: But Habakkuk, your nation was a wicked nation too. And God determined that the way he was going to handle you
2: and the Israelite people was through using
1: the nation of Babylon. What about this next one here? Can't God intervene with the weather? Look, what is it that separates us from God? We know it's sin. That's Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. You know, the, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So why did Katrina happen? Isn't that one of the number one arguments that you've probably heard? Isn't that one of the number one questions that you've probably heard?
2: Why didn't Katrina happen, God? Why did it happen, I should say? Why didn't you stop Katrina? Uh,
1: Apologetics Press has a program called Digger Doug, and they were asked the following question. What purpose do hurricanes and things like them serve? And, And understand... Digger Doug is for a young audience. My my three year old loves Digger Doug, but the answer is applicable to all ages. So they asked they asked the question, "What purpose do hurricanes and things like them serve?" They responded by saying, "Sometimes we wonder why God allows natural disasters such as tornadoes, floods, hurricanes, and even earthquakes to occur." Some people. They even think that the God of the Bible does not exist because scary things like hurricanes happen. So first, you need to remember that God's creation was perfect before the first man and woman disobeyed God. Everything God made was very good. When Adam and Eve sinned, however, the earth was cursed, Genesis 3.17, and sin eventually brought on the great flood of Noah's day, Genesis 6-10. through The flood changed the earth drastically and made for new and challenging weather patterns. Have you ever thought about the fact that when we preach on the flood, when we talk about the flood, we point out that there had never been a flood before? There's no occurrence, no record in the entire Bible before Genesis 6 of anything even close to rain.
2: And yet we have a flood come up And it destroyed the world. And it destroyed the natural progression
1: of the world's weather. To where the statement can be made and should be made about matters like Katrina and other hurricanes and other natural disasters. Unfortunately, those are also a consequence of sin.
2: What about this last one? Can't God
1: intervene with the will of man? In in the time of Amos, Amos chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, God responds to the people and he says, Also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all of your cities and lack of bread in all of your places, yet you have not returned to me. I withheld the rain, verse 7, from you when there was still three months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city, withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. God kept back things that the people had done wrong. He kept back the blessings that they would be used to receiving. But God can't intervene with the will of man. He can't. You know how I know? Jesus responds to Jerusalem in Matthew 23 verse 37 where he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But who wasn't willing?
2: You weren't willing. Why
1: couldn't Jesus just override the will of Jerusalem? He tried to do everything he could in his ministry to get them to obey and change, but they wouldn't. As we close this episode, I want you to
2: think about this. True love is not robotic.
1: If we were intervened like some would like, then we really wouldn't be the ones that are choosing to follow Jesus. And never in the Word of God has a Christian heard that life would not be difficult.
2: You know, you you get a
1: job. You have good days and bad days at that job, right? Do you go to the boss and complain to the boss when maybe the day that things don't go the exact way that you want, you go to him and you say, I quit, right? Some do. That's exactly what they do. But the right mentality is to realize that that job is going to have good days and bad days. How would life really be any different? Good days and bad days. God didn't wind the world up and let it go and just kind of sit back and see what happened, but God's also not putting his hand into every single cookie jar, if you will. You and I
2: have a responsibility to choose to serve and to love him. God could intervene, but then
1: we'd have a problem because there would be no free will. And I don't think anybody is going to advocate for God to take away free will. Look, I want to thank you for tuning in with me this week. I'm a little under the weather. I don't know if you could tell that with my my voice and, and whatnot. But I'm grateful you took some time to spend this with me. And Lord willing, next week we'll look at how to handle suffering. But until then, please God now so that our eternity can be far better.